Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. A behind-the-scenes look at the White Sox as they prepare for the 2021 baseball season. Brought to you by Wintrust Bank, Mazda of Orland Park on ESPN 1000. Chicago's new home of the White Sox. This is it. This is White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McNutt. Got you for the next hour. Going to be a fun show. Lots to do. Lots to talk about. Want some interaction from you because we are just, I mean, it's, we're so close to the regular season starting, and I could not be more excited. I know White Sox fans feel that way all across the board and for a whole host of different reasons. Here's what we're up to this morning on the show. Obviously, the White Sox lost last night to the Seattle Mariners. That's fine. Kyle Lewis hit one to the moon. Lance Loon is healthy. That's all good. We'll recap some of that game and talk about some of the uh, the things that have popped. We've got the big headlines going on, too, and fortunately for the White Sox, uh, there is some health news. It's more good than bad. Do have some Tommy John news when it comes to Jimmy Cordero, though, and we'll fill you in on where that was, uh, where that's going to be at for everyday Jimmy Cordero of 2020. Mostly, though, this morning, I want to talk about lineup construction. I want to talk about who bats where, what guy fits best in which spot. What kind of groups of hitters you'd like to see as White Sox fans in 2021? Because Tony La Russa, the Hall of Fame manager of the Chicago White Sox, has talked quite a bit about where he wants to bat which guy. What kind of experiments he's willing to run on the lineup. And what kind of, uh, what kind of platoon options he's willing to deal with as well. And with the return of Yasmani Grandal into what seems to be, or at least a, a healthy enough version of Yasmani Grandal in the spring training here, 2021, He's catching. He's hitting in the second spot. You've, you've got some now kind of like fully actualized and realized lineups. And with the, the dynamic number of hitters that the White Sox have, you can make some really chaotic lineups for other teams. I want to know where you like or who you like that and where in this White Sox lineup for 2021. That's where we're going to start. 312-332-3776. Lob in a call. Let us know what you're thinking. You can also follow us on Twitter at ESPN White Sox. That's the Twitter handle for the entirety of White Sox coverage here on ESPN 1000. You can also follow us on Twitch. It's twitch.tv slash ESPN 1000. Just follow us there and you can watch the show. If you're watching on Twitch this morning, you are checking out the brand new hat that I have. It's uh, I get into the minor league hats every now and again. Because you know, the Major League hats, I'm, I'm good on the Major League hats. I know what they look like. The Canapolis Cannonballers are the new nickname for the White Sox low A team. They used to be the Canapolis Intimidators. They were named after uh, Dale Earnhardt, who was either from there or born there. I can't remember which. Anyway, uh, you can the hat's awesome. They're the Cannonballers now. The logo is so cool, and the hat is so choice. Big ups to the Cannonballers for uh, letting us have the lid like this. We've got baseball. On the station this week as well, Wednesday at 3, it's the White Sox and the A's. And then Thursday at 3, it's the White Sox and the Reds. You are definitely going to want to swing by for those broadcasts this week in the afternoon. All right, here's the news and notes. And maybe the most important thing from the week that was for the Chicago White Sox. For me, 
It's very simple. Luis Robert is healthy and has returned to the lineup. That is the most important thing from this last week. As we sit here on the first day of spring, which I guess is today. I thought it was the 21st. Luis Robert is healthy. He's returned from the uh, abdominal strain. It was definitely just kind of a, a proactive sort of thing. Wanting to make sure that out of an abundance of caution, he has plenty of time to get himself back and set. Health is the most important thing in spring training. Unfortunately for the White Sox, they are going to lose a reliever that was a big factor in 2020. Jimmy Cordero is going to have Tommy John surgery. If you saw Jimmy pitch, um, I want to say it was like eight, nine days ago, maybe 10. I think it was March 8th. It didn't It didn't look quite right. Um, the velocity wasn't there. The sharpness wasn't there. LaRusso commented about exactly that after the game. And certain enough, it's going to be, it has been Tommy John surgery for Jimmy Cordero. 28 years old, going on 29. He pitched in 32 of 36 games last year. Ricky Renneria seemed to use him, well, not seemed, did use him in almost half the ball games the White Sox played, over half, including the playoffs. He was he was that guy that bridged, I think. You know, it was like when in doubt, throw Jimmy Cordero in a situation mid-game where maybe you had a lead, maybe you didn't. Maybe it was a close game. You're two runs either way, and you just kind of want to hang on before you get to a what was a powerful back end of the White Sox bullpen last year, though certainly shaped differently than the back end of the bullpen is going to be for the White Sox in 2021. Now that Liam Hendricks and Aaron Bummer has returned to health, all that kind of stuff, you know that there. Still, the bullpen, I would go so far as to say the bullpen is the 1A or 1B, I guess, strength of the White Sox in 2021, at least on paper. Lord knows what's going to happen once the game starts, and that's why you watch. But maybe that the, the young lineup is one, you know, the overall power that the White Sox bring to the plate, maybe that's the overall, the top strength of this team. I would say that the depth of the bullpen, the fact that you've got Liam Hendricks, Aaron Bummer, Evan Marshall, Cody Hoyer, you've got all of those names who were to a certain degree or to one degree or another proven in 2020 i mean shoot you go read you know just about any kind of like you know depth analysis of of teams and whatnot cody hoyer's season has a lot of people thinking about where he could be in three years you know potentially closing games whether it's here or elsewhere there are a lot of thoughts about cody hoyer as a a big time player uh, out of the bullpen later on down the line and I've said all of those names before I've even gotten to Garrett Crochet or Michael Kopech. That's a lot of depth. Still, no team has ever had enough pitching. You know, every, every team is still looking for another arm here or there at the deadline or in the offs, whatever it is. You're still looking for more pitching. And Jimmy Cordero was a guy that was more than serviceable. So it's unfortunate to take the hit there, and Cordero's not going to be around this season. Tommy John here, maybe he gets back to, to throwing next year. Um, But it's certainly going to be a a minute before Jimmy Cordero comes back to Major League action. White Sox did make a roster move as well since the last we talked here on White Sox Weekly. Billy Hamilton is now in camp. You know Billy Hamilton, speed demon, uber prospect of the Cincinnati Reds a handful of years ago. And while the bat never quite came around to the level of prospect pedigree, the speed is legit. He has been one of the better defensive center fielders in the game. And now that La Russa is, you know, dealing with a more, 
I honestly, I, I think LaRusse is talking more about lineups because, well, he's being asked more about them, I guess, because Jasmine Grandal is back, right? Because he's playing full time now and he's catching now and he's got an opportunity to be in that lineup and kind of influence who's in and around him. And with a switch hitting catcher, the way Grandal presents himself with a, a, a serious amount of power and a very high on base percentage, albeit a low batting average and not much speed, you start to wonder exactly where he fits best in the 2021 White Sox lineup. Larusa talked a little bit about where, or I guess I should say better off, what kinds of hitters he's looking for in that second spot. It seems like Tim Anderson is is that leadoff guy, is his leadoff guy. And Jose Abreu is that third hitter. Who hits two, and for that matter, who hits four, is still a little bit in Tony's head and not quite out on paper yet. And that's fine, but I want to play you just a little bit of, of Tony La Russa talking to reporters about his strategy as it regards the second spot in the lineup. I like somebody that's effective in that second spot, and you can have a different profile. But my favorite is the damage, the guy that can get an extra base hit and the guy like Abreu hitting behind him, pitches in a dilemma. Uh, i say probably the thing working against him would be speed. You know, he's an okay runner, but he's not as quick as uh, as some of the guys that we might consider there. Yeah, so obviously the other guys that Tony might consider there is somebody like Adam Eaton. Somebody like Luis Robert. In fact, um, when Robert worked himself back into the lineup after the little abdominal scare or whatever it was, um, he spoke about Robert maybe hitting out of the second spot or really anywhere. Because of the speed, there are any places you can't put him. I think, you know, sometimes if he's really hot, you give that extra bat in the two spot or leadoff. But, you know, if, I mean, if, if, if Tim takes a day off, uh, but. You know, hit the middle of the line because you're not playing chances to drive in runs, score runs. So, I'd say, you know, the top of the line is that extra at-bats, what you look for. And other than that, there's not a big difference. Every time you come to bat, you want to score, and the deeper the line, the better. be really interesting to see where Luis Robert kind of settles, I guess, in 2021. And and I don't mean that from a, from an everyday spot in the White Sox lineup necessarily. You just heard the manager, Tony La Russa, kind of talk about Robert's ability to be anywhere in that lineup. I mean, in terms of his approach, you know, kind of that plate discipline, looking for him to take that next step to being a more consistent regular and not having that last, you know, three, four, or five weeks that affected his uh, rookie of the year chances last season. When we come back, there. I want to continue the conversation about the lineup. I want to know who you'd prefer, maybe hitting second or four for that matter, considering Tim Anderson and Jose Abreu seem pretty set in the one and three spots respectively. But there are a couple of players pushing through spring training and their performances for some playing time questions. Larusa took a question about right field this week. And Lance Lynn started last night. He said some funny things about what was otherwise not a great start, but he's Lance Lynn, and he's hey, he's feeling fine and brushing things off. We'll bring that to you when we come back. This is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is Chicago's home for sports. The new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. Adam 
Mangle with a high field. It'll go! And a home run. He has doubled, tripled, and now homered. 7-7. to Another shot for Adam Engel last night, a three-run homer against the Mariners. That was from uh, our broadcast here on ESPN 1000 just a couple of days ago. You got White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. want to talk lineup construction with you because Tony La Russa has been talking quite a bit about it over in the Cactus League. And, you know, whether it's a guy like Eaton or Engel, uh, Mancata or Grandal or Robert, there are a lot of options for who hits in that second spot. And then, you know, kind of what trickles down the lineup and, and where you're looking to reset things for the leadoff man, Tim Anderson, when you go 9-1 to one later on in the game. But um, let's start here. Adam Engel is playing really – he's your Cactus League home run leader right now. I know that doesn't mean a whole heck of a lot. But Tony La Russa did talk just the other day. On the uh, 18th, it was, uh, Thursday – about the right field situation. And I know that White Sox fans had been wondering what the plan was before Adam Eaton signed, after Adam Eaton signed, and and even now. I understand it. There were a lot of guys on the free agent list that could have filled out right field with an emphatic, that is your dude. And the White Sox went with an Eaton, Engel, you know, platoon, share, uh, you know, kind of opportunity situation, which makes some sense when you're going to go down the line and sign Liam Hendricks. And, you know, potentially when you're chasing, uh, you know, some extensions that have been rumored as it pertains to Lucas Giolito and as it comes to Andrew Vaughn, I, you know, listen, those two things are out there as they have been out there since the start of camp. I think Bob Nightingale and, and others have reported that, yeah, the White Sox have checked in with both of those players about extensions. No, they don't seem to be going anywhere right now. And it, who knows? You know, this is extension season, and we've seen what the White Sox track record has been with players in kind of in Andrew Vaughn's situation, though not drafted players, that have gotten extensions to get them to the big league roster so that service time isn't a concern for anybody involved and that these guys just get paid. To go play baseball. Anyway, back to Eaton and Engel in right field. Here's Tony LaRusso on how he's eyeballing right field. Yeah, I think Eaton's going to be our regular. Uh, and I think uh, Adam Engel is a perfect complement. Not because he can hit left-handers, but he can play the other two spots. Uh, so, although we haven't done it, there's a chance maybe tomorrow night uh, Lurie will start the game in the infield, maybe get a couple of innings out there as well, just so we can maintain our options. So LaRusso's talked a bit about, I mean, not necessarily news there that Adam Eaton is going to be the regular in right field, but it is kind of, you know, light news, soft news, I guess, one way or the other. Engel's playing really well, though. And I just, here's to point out some things, right? Adam Engel's career slash line, average on base slugging, right? Versus right-handed pitching, 207, 324, 588 versus left-handed pitching it goes up quite a bit i mean most of you know this 257 303 386 2020 though was a turnaround year for adam engel we all saw it the guy looked well the guy played like a regular whether that's something that continues whether that's a a 60 game stretch whether that's yeah i i get it i understand the concerns but last season Adam Engel went 286, 365, 436. Sorry, that's the Eaton number. 291, 328, 509. 
303-340-3424 against lefties. Engel was solid all the way around. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if he pushes for a little bit more playing time. You know, that DH spot is the DH spot. And it looks like Andrew Vaughn is, again, this is my opinion. This is not a reported thing. But my opinion is Andrew Vaughn has got himself the got himself the position, or at least angling for it in a way that nobody else is on that roster. He just keeps hitting mammoth home runs. And it's crazy. The launch angle on his home runs, at least so far in the Cactus League, have been, I mean, just, they look like they're going straight up off the bat. And then they stay up in the air for a very long time, and then they land in the concourse, and they hit a trash can or something like that. It's, it's been a lot of fun to watch. Adam Eaton as as a second-place hitter is interesting to me. I like that he can hit for a little bit of power when he's healthy and playing like Adam Eaton has last time he was in a White Sox uniform, and, and when he'd been healthy with the Nationals as well. I like that the on-base percentage is there. I like that I, I like a second-place hitter to be contactee, but not contact-dependent, if that makes any sense. I, I like a second-place hitter's ability to foul off some tough pitches, to hang in there in a count, but not necessarily have the offensive profile of Nick Madrigal, per se. Not to say that Madrigal's profile is useless, just to say that if it's all singles, you know, if there isn't a whole lot of pop, having him in that second-place spot that that doesn't that doesn't fit the bill, right? Grandal there is very interesting to me from an on-base percentage standpoint. I like the idea of more guys on base for the three-hitter Jose Abreu. Everyone should. Although one of the most likely scenarios for the three-hitter, I mean, if you just take the statistics of it throughout a season, you take the bulk math of it, one of the situations that that three-hitter faces more often than anybody else in the lineup is two out, nobody on. It's just the nature of the ball game. So having somebody, grouping some of that on-base percentage up at the top, however it comes, whether it's through batting average, heavy kind of guys like Tim Anderson, although I'm, I'm fine having him at the top because he handles the bat very well in, in as much as he can handle breaking balls now better than he ever has. Hits for some power and is, is chaos on the base paths, too. He's very fast. But to me, and it, it's a guy's name that we haven't mentioned in a while, Yohan Mankata just continue. I mean, every week we've done this show throughout spring training, and I can't help but think over and over again about how much of a, a factor, a healthy, you know, COVID-recovered Yohan Mankata is to the Chicago White Sox in 2021. We all saw what the numbers looked like in 19. We all saw what the flashes looked like in 20. And for me, I you know, I understand kind of the national pushback on Yoan Mankata. Like, ah, what kind of a hitter is he? Can he be patient and aggressive at the same time? I understand the questions. But there are there have been too many of, of these, you know, write-ups or whatever. And maybe this is a Connor thing. Too many of these write-ups where you know, it's just, oh, 19 was great and 20 was bad. Who is Yohan Mankata? And they don't mention the fact that he really struggled with COVID. That he had the long tail kind. The stuff that, you know, has him taking oxygen on the bench going from first to third. And then struggling to get back out to play defense on that inning. That needs to be noted, at least for me. And also, you look at certain situations where he knows what's coming, where he's, he's getting the pitch he expects, rather, and hitting it for power. Really, throughout the season, I understand that the power as a, as a consistent measure wasn't there. 
But when he got his pitch, when he saw what was coming, when he kind of felt it, you know, he was still able to do a lot of damage and get things out to the fences. I wouldn't be too surprised to see Yohan Mankata playing another four spot quite a bit. I think that makes some sense in terms of how Tony LaRusso is talking about it. I just think that, you know, whether it's whether it's a guy that can do some damage in the second spot, whether it's a guy that can move the baseball around or not, the importance of getting that, I mean, you guys know the numbers, the, you guys know the 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 certain group of hitters we're talking about that really makes an impact for the White Sox. Getting them as many at-bats as you can toward the top of the lineup is crucial, and LaRusa knows it. Look at the standings last season. And I get that Francisco Lindor left the Cleveland Indians, and he's not there anymore. But from a production standpoint, he really wasn't there in 2019 either. One game separated the Twins, the White Sox, and the Indians in 2020. One game! Win every single one you can, because I, I think this division is going to come down to something really tight again. I think the Indians could be a factor still because they pitch as well as they do. And then to that end, we're continuing the AL Central look around here on White Sox Weekly. Tom Hamilton is the play-by-play voice of the Cleveland Indians. He is fantastic. He's a ton of fun to talk to, and he's our guest. We'll get to him in just a couple of minutes on White Sox Weekly. This is ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. If you miss something, podcasts are available on the new ESPN Chicago app. White Sox Weekly, ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. We continue our look around the AL Central. It is Cleveland's turn. And there's nobody better to talk to than Tom Hamilton. You've known him as the voice of the Indians radio broadcast for a good long time now. Tom, thanks for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it. Great to talk with you. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Connor. So big questions about Cleveland in the AL Central this year. Obviously, one game separated three teams last season, short as it was. And then Cleveland makes a big decision in trading one of the best players in baseball, Francisco Lindor. What has life been like in the post-Lindor era? What are the next steps for them in replacing him well i don't think you'll really know that until you get into games that count and in spring training you know everybody feels good about everything and that's just the nature of spring training reality hits on april 1st as to what kind of a club you really have and you know then the next six months will truly determine that no one can say you're a better club without frankie lindor i mean that would be just a foolish statement. He, as you mentioned, is one of the preeminent players in all of baseball. But it was obvious he was not going to re-sign with the Indians. He really wants to test free agency. In fact, I would be surprised if he signed with the Mets, really. Um, I, I just think he's gotten to this point and has always, I know his agent, has always wanted him to go up and, and test the market. And I expect Francisco to do just that. So... You know, it was a case where could the Indians pay him $40 million a year? Well, sure. Any club can pay any one player that kind of money. But then teams like the Indians in their market are not going to be able to surround him with the kind of talent that would give you a chance to have the kind of sustained success the Indians have had. So I think we've known the reality that this day was coming, Connor. And I think we've also seen, and we'll see how this trade works out because Two of the kids are very young prospects. But in this day and age, you're not getting the kind of packages of prospects that you once did 
for a talent like Frankie Lindor. And teams are really hanging on to their minor league prospects. You, you don't see trades much like the White Sox made when they were able to trade away Adam Eaton and Chris Sale. Those kind of deals aren't happening anymore because young prospects are just too valuable. I know baseball fans all across America know Francisco Lindor as uh, a face of this game, uh, but maybe some don't know the leadership role he grew into while he was in Cleveland. Who takes over that role now that he's gone? Yeah, I think that's to be determined, Connor. And uh, kind of the same thing as it was with Francisco. Uh, Initially, Frankie was not a leader, and he deferred to the veterans like Mike Napoli and Michael Brantley really took Lindor under his wing. And then, you know, eventually... Francisco grew into that role. And and I think that's the way it is with most young players. And some guys never are comfortable being that leader. Who fulfills that role now? You know, again, like I said, I think that's to be determined. I think that identity of a ball club and its personality takes time to establish. You know, they certainly have guys on the ball club that are capable. But, you know, Carlos Santana had become a leader himself, and and so you're going to miss him. But I already see Shane Bieber stepping up in that role as one of the starting pitchers. I, I just don't think in our sport you very often have one guy, so to speak, that you know, stands on the mountaintop and says, follow me. I think you need multiple leaders. I think you need somebody in the bullpen uh, because that's kind of its own little family out there. I think that's a role that Nick Whitgren has has really felt comfortable in being a leader here in the past several years in regards to the bullpen, he and Oliver Perez. Shane Bieber now has kind of taken that mantle as the ace of the pitching staff. As far as the everyday players, you know, I, I think, uh, again, that's to be determined. A guy like Roberto Perez is certainly capable of it. Um, he's in much better shape. Uh, well, and a catcher, I know Sandy Alomar was as good a leader as this organization's ever had. You know, whether or not that can be something that Roberto Perez is comfortable with, I don't know. And again, I, I think I give you a long-winded answer. I don't know that we know who those leaders are or who will emerge un- until this team has played a while. We're talking with Tom Hamilton, the play-by-play man for the Cleveland Indians radio broadcast. you got White Sox Weekly here on ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. Uh, Tom, you mentioned Shane Bieber. He's a month removed from his bout with COVID. How's he feeling? And from a baseball operations standpoint, as a, as a pitching triple crown winner, is he an extension candidate for Cleveland? Are they at that point in spring? Well, I, I think he's certainly a candidate. But again, it always takes two to tangle. So... You know, it's easy for guys to say, I I really want to stay. I really want to sign a contract. The reality is, uh, in this day and age, I don't know how many guys really do do that unless they get blown away with an offer like Fernando Tatis did. I think also the situation is complicated a little bit because of the CBA coming to an end at the end of this season. Nobody knows what the next collective bargaining agreement is going to look like And I wonder if some players may be reluctant to get into a long-term deal before that CBA has been agreed upon. But no question the Indians would like to to lock up Shane Bieber, and he's expressed an interest in the same thing. But again, you know, been down this road before, it's easy to say this is what the team and the player want to do. 
Um, the reality is it's, it's always much more difficult than it seems. And, you know, as far as uh, Shane with the COVID, he's fine. You know, he's had a good spring. He'll be the opening day starter. Um, he, he just had a very light bout with it. So he was never even behind when he got to camp. So, you know, Shane will be the opening day starter for the Indians on April 1st in Detroit. And I, you know, would expect him to have another good year. I mean, everyone talks about that Cy Young season coming out of nowhere and it really didn't. I mean, he, he had an incredible rookie year when he got brought up, you know, in his first full year in the big leagues in 2019, he wins 15 games and was the all-star MVP. So I, I think Shane Bieber has become a much better pitcher than anyone envisioned when he was drafted. Otherwise, he wouldn't have lasted until the fourth round. But the one thing about Shane that we have seen every year, he has gotten better. So, Tom, that's the thing from the league-wide perspective. And your point about Bieber not coming truly out of nowhere is well taken. But from the outside perspective, the Indians have just kind of summoned pitching from the ether. And then it arrives at the major leagues breathing fire. What has this franchise gotten so right about developing pitching over the last 10-plus years? Well, I think, Connor, it's a lot like that secret sauce for the Big Mac. Everybody wonders why that tastes so good. And McDonald's hasn't revealed the secret sauce yet. I don't think the Indians are about to either. But you're you're right. I mean, I, I think the thing that's been impressive, Connor, about what the Indians have done with pitching is their ability to not only go out, draft, and develop pitching, but their ability to go out and find pitchers in other organizations, bring them to Cleveland, and turn around their careers. And, you know, when I say that, I'm talking, you know, Corey Kluber was acquired in a trade. Mike Clevenger was acquired in a trade. Trevor Bauer was acquired in a trade. And all of these guys got better by coming to the Indians and working with the Indians. Now, I'm sure if you ask Trevor Bauer, he did it all on his own. But that's a story for another day. The <laughs> Indians have an ability to, Connor, to, to seek out a certain pitcher. You know, they don't – I think the thing that makes Cleveland unique, Connor, especially in this day and age of, of showcases, and I had two boys that played college uh, Division One baseball and, and played minor league baseball – and I've seen how much worse the showcase events are in the last 10 years, even when my boys were playing. I, it, to me, it's scary, and that's where kids are getting hurt. Everybody wants to go to a showcase, light up the radar gun, but in the end, it leads to injuries, and it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to pitch. If you look at what the Indians do, Connor, very seldom do they have guys that lead the league in velocity. You know, they, they throw well. You know, Shane Bieber's 93 to 95. You know, Zach Plesak is, is 93 to 95. But they pitch. They have the ability to command the baseball, to work up, down, in, out, use all of their pitches at any point in the count. They're truly pitchers. And they have been the best, I think, in the game in doing that and developing it. Ruben Yegla has been incredible. In that regard, he's now part of the major league staff. Um, you know, there are a lot of other people behind the scenes, be it analytics or people in the minor leagues. But, you know, I think the word is out. But, um, I was talking to a scout yesterday after our game who uh, is from another organization in the National League, and he just went on and on about it. 
after watching a number of our other young pitchers on the backfields. There's more pitching coming. And um, so I think, too, happens a lot of times now pitchers, they want to come to Cleveland because they feel like these people will get them to their, their apex, so to speak. Uh, it, it's the only way this club can survive, Connor, because everybody has seen it. To go out and buy pitching, okay, who's going to be able to afford it? Dodgers, the Yankees, the Cubs. There aren't many organizations that can go out and give the pitcher $300 million, and then you'll hold your breath and hope he doesn't get hurt. I wanted to ask you, Tom, about the, the manager, Tito Francona. Obviously, Tito has been through quite a bit health-wise in the last few years. He's one of the game's preeminent figures and a manager likely headed to the Hall of Fame. How is Tito? What are his expectations for his season? You know, he, he's, he had another, you know, issue during right before spring training where he had a staph infection in his big toe and had to have surgery on that foot. So he's been hobbled throughout the spring, first with crutches and now the walking boots. So I know he's been flustered by that. But otherwise, you know, his health is, is good. And, you know, he's a game changer. I, I mean this with no disrespect to any major league manager. But I always feel like when the game starts, the Indians have one edge going into that game, no matter who's pitching for either team, and that's in the dugout. I don't think that the Indians ever get beat because of who is managing the ball club. And I think that's an edge that, you know, has proven itself. I mean, since Tito became the manager in 2013, the Indians haven't had a losing season. And in a market the size of Cleveland, that's remarkable. Now, that goes hand-in-hand hand with what the front office has done, speaking about Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff. I mean, it's a tremendous front office. They've proven that with limited resources. You know, to to average, last year they would have won between 94 and 95 games if you go by where they were record-wise at the time that the 60 games was up. That's a four-year run of averaging 95 wins a year. That's astounding. And you win the division title, you know, three years in a row. You go to the playoffs five years since Tito's been here. You miss the playoffs in 2019, winning 93 games. So um, I, I think, as you say, with Terry Francona, I think he's a lock for Cooperstown. He's one of the great managers of all time. And, you know, I think a lot of us were surprised when, you know, he could have had the pick of jobs after what he did in Boston, and he picked the Indians because he wanted to work with people he trusted. He did not want to get backstabbed again like he did in Boston. And, boy, Cleveland has been the beneficiary of that. And, you know, it was a big loss not having Tito, although I thought Sandy Alomar did an incredible job, and I think Sandy Alomar should be managing some major league team right now. Couldn't agree with you more there. Uh, Tom, as we wrap it up here, we've been asking everyone in the AL Central preview series the same question. This is White Sox Weekly, after all. What is your pers- <laughs> what is your perspective of the 2021 White Sox? Oh, I wish it wasn't as good a team as it is. <laughs> I look at the White Sox, I don't see a weakness. I just don't see a weakness. They went out. They have fortified their pitching staff. Um, I think that more than anything has been overlooked in that, yeah, they have some really bright young stars. We we all know that. 
But you win in this game with pitching. I think the Indians are proof of that. And they've gone out and they've made their rotation stronger. I think their bullpen is as good as any bullpen in the American League. And so I, I just look at the White Sox now, Connor, and I just, they remind me so much of when the Indians have gone through these phases. Um, back in the 90s, when you saw the ball club emerge with all those talented young players, you know, there's a process that, that you just can't shortchange in our game. And that is learning how to win, learning how to handle adversity. Um, everybody is great when things are going well. It's how you respond when you, you go through those bad stretches. And that's where I think the guy in the dugout makes the difference. And obviously the White Sox went out and got one of the greatest managers in the history of the game. So um, I thought Rick Renteria did a terrific job. But if you have a chance to get Tony La Russa, um, that'd be like offering my wife, me, or Brad Pitt. I know who finishes second, and it's not Brad Pitt. So when you've got that chance to go get a guy like Tony La Russa and everything that he knows and, and has been through the ups and downs of a six-month marathon and the playoffs and whatnot, I, I just, right now in my mind, I think the White Sox on paper are the best team in the American League. Now, they've got to go and do that. We all know that, but, you know, there's just not one part of their ball club that you look at and you go, hmm, you know, that, that could get them in the end. I, I just, I don't see a weakness on that ball club. Tom, really appreciate talking with you. It's been great. Like you, I cannot wait for all the things we have down on paper to get played out on the field. All right, Connor, great being with you. Call anytime. That's Tom Hamilton, the voice of the Cleveland Radio Broadcast. We'll be back to wrap things up. I'm Connor McKnight, and this is White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. This is White Sox Weekly. On the new home of the White Sox. ESPN 1000, Chicago's home for sports. Welcome to White Sox Weekly on ESPN 1000. Chicago's home for sports is the new home, the new home of the White Sox. We are the new home of the White Sox, ESPN 1000. I'm Connor McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. We've got three games this coming week. Starts Wednesday at 3 with the Sox and the A's, and then Thursday at 3 with the Sox and the Reds. You don't want to miss any of the action. Len and DJ will uh, they'll, they'll take the broadcast. They'll take the puck. They'll take the ball. They'll take the field. They'll broadcast starting at 3 o'clock on Wednesday and Thursday. A uh, couple of things before we get out of here and turn things over to the hockey show. Pat and Brian are champing at the bit to get going. Um, Lance Lynn threw last night three and two-thirds, six hits, three earned, one walk, five strikeouts, one home run to Kyle Lewis. That ball went to the moon. Lynn was unconcerned. Here's a little bit on his outing and where he's at this spring. You know, obviously, 85 pitches needs to be more like uh, six innings, so that's the only problem, really. Uh, stuff was there, just overcooking stuff a little bit and getting deep in the counts, which comes with the territory right now in spring, but, uh, you know, Pitch count wise, I feel strong. You know, the stuff still velocity still there as a as the game's going on. So just gotta keep keep going through it and keep locking it in. Uh, you know, you look at eighty five pitches or whatever it was tonight, uh next time probably be ninety, and then the last time probably be ninety again. So if I hit those marks, I'm good to go. I'm actually going into the start with a game plan. Right now we're just kinda having fun, to be honest. We're throwing whatever, whenever we want to, wherever. Things are just kinda not hitting yet, but when we have a game plan and 
we're attacking the way that we're going to during the season will be a little different flow. So to me, that's kind of the most important thing when it comes to Lance Lynn. I, I guess three things most important. How do you feel the start day after the start? Good. All right. Fantastic. Get back out there, Hoss. Do you have a game plan? You know, what are you working? What are you trying to throw here? Not much. Okay. Check that box. And then how does Ethan Katz and you, how do, how do the both of you kind of feel about your stuff right now? How, how are things working? Remember, Lance Lynn is working on throwing that curveball a little bit more this season. Shape of it has looked interesting. The spin on it has been, um, you know, it checks a box, I guess. So it could be a nice mix-in pitch for Lance Lynn. I One last thing, too. Zach Collins gave some quotes to reporters. Um, he's a very confident man who expects to be on this team come April 1. And that's interesting to me. I mean, the backup catcher spot has had more conversation around it than maybe any other spot on this White Sox club for 21. Collins has every right to be confident, not only because he's a top 10 draft pick, but also because his performance this spring has been exemplary. Six walks. Listen, I don't put a whole lot of stock in the actual results, the hard hit baseballs, you know, does it fall, all that kind of stuff. But. When you look at the ratio of six walks to two strikeouts, one of those strikeouts on Thursday being a very questionable call, that is a good thing. That kind of discipline and understanding of the strike zone and what you can attack is interesting. He has remade his approach some. He's defensively looking better to me. I don't know if he's ever going to be a plus defensive catcher, but that's okay if you're going to hit. Zach Collins is making very interesting push this last four, five, six days, and, and maybe the next 10 days or so to get onto this roster, this 26-man roster, when the White Sox break camp on April 1st. Can't wait for that day to come around. You're going to get a baseball game on Thursday. Some hockey talk coming up next. That does it for us here on White Sox Weekly. Thank you to Tom Hamilton. Thanks to our producer, Tyler Aki. Pat and Brian are up next. This is ESPN 1000.